Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to the book of John, chapter 7. I'm sorry, the book of Luke, chapter 17. And as you open to Luke 17, just kind of hold your place there because I'm going to deal with that passage uh, in a little bit, okay? Luke 17. But I'm going to open with a passage from the book of Proverbs. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. So a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So we're going to deal with this issue called triggered. And us and the Edenton campus are going through this in June, triggered. And by triggered, we mean there's something that when you face someone who says something offensive to you, or you encounter certain circumstances in life, or you have opportunity to act in other ways that are not biblical and something triggers that, we want to talk about the responses, okay? And we want to give a biblical response in this series of how we should respond when things happen to us in life. So this is getting down into your junk drawer. This is really, I mean, those who survived the first service, hallelujah, they deserve a medal. But, uh, no, really, it, it, I'm getting down into where we live. This is pastoral preaching, and uh, we need this. We need to grow up a little bit higher, okay? So today, I'm dealing with offense. I'm dealing with offense and how to, to live above offense. Because this is an issue in our lives, there's no one in this room who has not been offended by somebody at some time in your life. None of us in this room. No one in this room has not been touched by offense. And when offense happens, we have an opportunity to respond. We can respond the Bible way, which I'm going to show you, or we can respond in the negative way. So I'm going to deal with the negative first, and I'm going to put you down in a hole. Then we're going to get you out and show you the Bible way out of this in Jesus' name. I think we're living in an age where there's more offense talked about than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I'm very young. <laughs> but in my lifetime, there's more offense. Everything is like, every, it's cancel culture. It's you offend me, I'm cutting you off. We're outing you on social media. We're boycotting your business. We're... It's crazy. We're encountering some crazy things over names and titles and viewpoints. And if you hold an opposite viewpoint, you know, an intellectual democratic society should be able to talk about different views and do that with respect and get along and come to the greatest, the most wise point. But now, if you have a viewpoint different than mine, I can just cut you. The spirit of offense. There's a spirit of offense in the nation, a spirit of offense that people just live in, you know, and I, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's an interesting day to be living. But the church is the city set up on a hill. The people of God are the salt and light and the city set on the hill, and we should be the example of how to handle things in a proper manner. So I'm preaching to Hans number one today. Okay? But I'm going to show us out of the Bible how it should work. Okay, First of all, an offense is Satan's trap. 
It's an opportunity when somebody does something to you or some circumstance happens or some situation happens, you have an opportunity to choose to be offended by that and carry that or to let it go. And if you choose to be offended by it, you really buy in to Satan's trap. Okay, now, the Bible says, Jesus said, many will be offended, Matthew chapter 24, and will betray one another and will hate one another. Now, that's given in Matthew 24, which is the Olivet Discourse, when he responds to his disciples' questions about what's going to happen in the end time. What will be the signs of your coming, and what will be, when will all these things happen, the destruction of the temple? And he comes back and he says, well, there'll be many people offended. And I know the biblical term for offense is dealing with sin, too. But I'm going to particularize it to us and how we get offended. Okay? So he said there's coming a day when people will be offended. Many will be offended. I think we're there. But the term he uses for offense is a Greek term, scandalon, or the, the verb is skandalizomai. And it was also actually used for traps in the ancient world. So think about a trap, and a trap has a bait in the trap. And the, the, the design of a trap is that an animal will go in, take the bait, and once the bait is taken, the trap closes, or however the trap mechanism works, the animal's trapped. Right? I did some of this at my house a few years ago, but I don't know if it's, I'm allowed to talk about it. But I got rid of some stuff eating my yard up. I don't even know if that's illegal. I don't know. I, maybe I'll just keep that quiet between us. But we used some traps. And I caught some stuff that flipped me out that was in my yard. I mean, but we put a, me and a dear brother in this church that I'll leave nameless. We put a little piece of corn in this trap. Why am I telling this? We put a little piece of corn in this trap and caught some stuff. So, when, so the, the, the bait in the Greek language is the scandalon. It's the offense. So think about it this way. If you go in, you have an opportunity to be offended. You go in and take that bait, boom. You're trapped into this. Now you're carrying this offense. John Bevere wrote a famous book many years ago called Bait of Satan. And it's what he talks about, the scandalizomai, the scandalon is the bait of Satan. That if you take it, you're trapped into what I'm going to call a spirit of offense. And then when you get into that spirit of offense, you're in trouble. Let me tell you what happens with offense. There's some dangers here. Number one, when you get offended and carry that, you can shut off the miracle flow in your life. In the book of Luke, chapter 4, Jesus came out of the wilderness after he'd been baptized and tempted by Satan for 40 days, overcame all the temptations of Satan, and then he came to the, to, to, into the hometown, his hometown of Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue, he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he goes through that passage. And then the Bible says, when the people in his hometown heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to a hill and they tried to throw him off the cliff. But he somehow passed through them and got out of it. 
That's how mad they were and offended they were at Jesus. They tried to kill him. Okay, fast forward, Jesus comes back to Nazareth, and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, when he showed up, he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Nowhere else in the Gospels is Jesus limited on doing miracles. There was never a sickness too difficult for him to heal. There was never a demon too bad for him to cast out. He always conquered anything that came in his path except in his hometown. And why was that? Not because he didn't have the power. They had shut themselves off through a spirit of offense from the miracle flow of what God wanted to do. We, can, this is, who is, we know this boy. He grew up here. It's Joseph's son. Come on. They had a spirit of offense against him and it shut down the miracle flow in their life. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How many don't want to grieve the Spirit of God? And he said, this is the key, I think, of how you grieve the Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed by the day of, for the day of redemption, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How do we grieve the Spirit of God? I believe by having bitterness, wrath, anger, clamoring, and evil speaking against one another. I believe that shuts off the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't need the Holy Spirit flow shut off in my life. I need Him turned wide open on red hot. I need everything I can get from the Lord in my life. Amen? I want the Holy Spirit flow to be wide open in this church. So when we come in here, we have revival and we let God move and God shows up and He doesn't have to work through offense and hurt feelings and bitterness and people backbiting and talking. There's none of that here. So He can just come in and just flow. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. When you are offended and take, in, take the bait, then you build a wall around yourself and you break relationships. Proverbs 18, 19 that I began with, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. When someone's got a spirit of offense and they've taken that, uh, it's almost impossible to have a relationship with them unless something happens. Also, when you take that spirit of offense in and you take the bait, you lose your joy and peace. You lose it. Because now... You take all that time that was spent before on, on thinking about the Lord or going about your daily life. Now you're just running those scenarios over in your brain of what someone did to you. And it can, if you don't deal with it, it can rob the joy and rob the peace out of your life. And people who get around you know it's going on. They know something's working in your brain that you can't let it go. And it kind of shuts off those around you. I'm putting you in a hole, but I'm getting you out. <laughs> Y'all got to hang on with me, all right? If you open the door and take the bait of, of this offense, then bitterness and malice and unforgiveness sets up in your heart. And I'm telling you, bitterness, I believe, has a physical manifestation in the decaying of the bones. Because I believe it's Scripture. It has a physical manifestation 
If you take in that bitterness and live in that thing, it'll work on your physical body. It will age your physical body. I'm telling you, you know how stress does that? I mean, when I was walking through, all I walked through in 2019 and 2020, we took a picture. It's now famous or infamous in our family. And my girl said, Dad, you looked kind of like Gandalf. This is why you need daughters in your life. They keep you straight. Thanks. Gandalf's the old man in Lord of the Rings, for those of you who are not in the 21st century. But I'm sorry, just kidding. You open the door also when you take in the spirit of offense, you open the door straight away to Satan and all of the demonic realm. I'm telling you, you can just open the door for him to come in and set up shop in your psyche or in your soul realm. Now somebody says that can't happen to a Christian. Well, let me tell you something. Paul was talking to Christians when he said, don't let Satan have a foothold in your life. He was talking to Christians in Acts chapter 6 and that, that, that range when they took, uh, or Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied about selling a piece of property to the apostles. And Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? Now Satan has filled your heart. So it's a temptation. It's, a, it's an open door. And I know people who work a lot in deliverance and have through the years, and they'll tell you one of the, one of the biggest open doors and things you have to deal with is unforgiveness. And holding offense in your heart. You want to get all of that stuff out. And finally, if you take the bait of Satan, it will choke and throttle down your relationship with the Lord. Because now you just see your relationship with the Lord through the lenses of you being hurt and offended. How many still love me in this sanctified church? It's the truth though. I'm preaching to me more than anybody here, okay? But it's the truth. If we take that bait and are offended, oh, I'll tell you what gets me. You know, I lived in Washington, D.C. for many years, but there are worse drivers in Virginia than Washington, D.C. I'm a Virginian. I can say that. But I've been flipped off more in Virginia Beach than any city in my life. And man, when that happens, something runs through me and it stirs up that hillbilly in me. And I thought, what's your problem? And then I have an immediate choice. Hans, are you going to take the bait? Are you going? So I, you know what? I, I just start praying. God bless that guy. I don't want to pray for him. I don't feel like praying for him. But I start praying, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you bless him, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Because we could get, there's people that pull people off and shoot each other over things like that. I mean, that's talking about spirit of offense. You need to let it go. Oh, hallelujah. Don't take the bait. Let it go. So I'm going to give you three ways here to get free from this spirit of offense. Okay, y'all ready? These are, these, are, these are tough, but we're going to work through it this morning. Number one, you're going to decide to live above offense. We're going to make a decision. Come on. We're going to decide to live above offense. Can you live above offense? Yes, you can. You can live offense-free. You can be like the Teflon man. You can live offense-free, but it starts with a decision in your soul realm. 
that by an act of your will, you're going to determine to live offense-free. Now let's go to Luke 17 where you've been holding since the beginning here. Jesus said in verse 1 of Luke 17, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible. So just know that Jesus has already told us we're going to get offended. Hello? He told us we're going to have offenses. It's in the Gospels. Somebody's going to offend you. Some situation is going to offend you. So you have to know it's coming and pre-think how you're going to pre-think. That's not... You have to think before it happens of what you're going to do when it happens. Can somebody say amen? amen? But woe to him from whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were, he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. So he's saying there, there's going to be people who cause offense and they're going to be in trouble. They're the, God's going to deal with them. Someone asked me after service this morning, they said, we just we saw um, uh, something that someone had kidnapped some kids or something on, on, on the news and this guy said, I can't let that go, man. It's just been, that's tearing me up. I said, I know. You want to go just bust a cap on somebody. But we can't do that. It's not, we're, we're not, we've not been given that power of justice like that. That's in the hands of the government that God has authorized to handle stuff like that. That's in this Roman 12 scenario where God has people who have given, been given the power of the sword. That's why we have organized governments and armies that are given the power of the sword, right? I think it's like, wasn't it Shechem that the, the sons of Jacob went and they destroyed the whole village because one of their daughters, one of their uh, sisters was raped, basically? And it wasn't the right action by those boys, even though judgment or justice should have come, but it wasn't their way they should have gone about it. So it isn't in our power to just do that. We have to let that go and know that God will deal with that person and woe to that man when he stands before the judgment seat of Jesus. Woe to that person when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And here's one thing about it. God has a way of judging people better than you could anyhow. We want to exact retribution sometimes, but it's not given us to do that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance, He has a way, He has perfect justice. We don't. Wow. So he said it's impossible that offenses should, it's, not, it's impossible that no offenses should come. They're going to happen. But we can make a decision that says, I decide to live above this. I decide to fly above this, and that's the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life offense-free, hallelujah, even if it takes me a minute to pray for that dude that gave me the hand signals in traffic. Glory. Someone did that to me in Camden one day. It really blew me away. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm misrepresenting Camden, and I don't want to do that. They honked at me because I didn't move fast enough off a side road. And I thought, we're not in New York City, man. We're in Camden County, North Carolina. Peace be still unto you and your children's children. <laughs> I will move. I'm not slow here, all right? Number two, this is the difficult part, okay? 
But this is what Jesus said in Luke, the, the next verse. Take heed to yourselves if your brother of the Christian community sins against you, then call Pastor Hans and tell him what they did. No, my name's nowhere in the Bible. If your brother sins against you, call three people in the church so they know what a loser this guy really is. Let me try it again. If your brother sins against you, go to Facebook and just rip them on Facebook and call them out. No. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Rebuke him. That means confront. Confront him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now notice what Paul said. A little different context, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, Paul says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. How many servants of the Lord do we have in here this morning? Okay, Servants of the Lord should not quarrel, but be gentle to all. There's a lot of quarreling servants of the Lord walking around. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, able to teach and patient. In humility correcting those who are in opposition. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Not take the bait. How do we do that? We want to, in humility, correct someone so we can get them out of an offense and we can free ourselves out of an offense. Notice what the, the message says. God's servant must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps cool. Working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. This is the difficult part, but it's actually the part of facing something and, and God knows I need help. But facing something so you can get through it. You know, so we've learned a few things here pastoring through the years, and we have learned this, that when people come and they accuse someone of something in the church, we've just, we've just kind of made it a, a guideline with ourselves here in the church that we just say, well, we'll go get that person. And you can sit and talk to them. I know, I'm good. And a lot of people back out right there, because we, we had someone come at one point and said, uh, there's someone living in sin that's... Uh, volunteering the church. We said, okay, well, let's go get that person. Let's, let's deal with this. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I just came to tell you. But those who serve on my local administrative council know this too. We have a no-they's rule. You can't come to a board meeting and say, well, they said. I said, who is they? Give me a name. Because there's no they's. Because when we talk in they's, we get into this vague land of throwing and hurling accusations. And we don't bring it down to reality. Oh, this is hard preaching, Lord Jesus. But if we would practice this in humility and the Spirit of Christ, I think we would solve a lot of issues. 
that we all have dealt with in life. That would be like me, you know, coming to my wife and saying, hey, uh, the kids, they, they did something. We're like, no, was it Sarah or Alex? <laughs> but we're going to go deal with one of them. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying? So decide to live above offense and then rebuke or confront with all humility. Third thing. Then he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If a brother of the Christian community sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Okay, Brother Hans, I can forgive. But second time, they're out. <laughs> Fool me once. Shame on you. <laughs> Fool me twice. Shame on me. It'll never happen a second time. Jesus said, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times he returns to you saying, I repent, you will forgive him. Because the rabbis had this belief that if someone, if a man forgave someone three times, he was perfect. But Jesus is coming and saying, no, I'm saying seven times a day we can forgive someone. And I don't think that's the cap. I think he was saying it, you know, in, in like uh, with hyperbole, that this is representing an endless amount of times if the person repents. And I began thinking about this, and I thought, Lord, I, I, I've never really thought about it this way. But I thought, why are you like that, Lord? I mean, because I was thinking about, does that mean reconciliation? Does that mean we have to hang out with this person? Does that mean there's no consequences? Does that mean there's no requirements on their life to live holy? And no, it isn't talking about any of that. But he's just saying, in your heart, you've got to forgive if that person comes with an honest repentance. You've got to. And then I thought about it, and I thought, why are you like that? And then it's just like, I heard these words because I'm like that toward you. That God's like that toward us. Thank God He didn't just forgive me one time of one thing and then the second time He says, you're done. No, thank God He's come to me and I've come to Him and I've said, God, I've goofed it up here. I thought the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. And I just say, but now I claim that verse. If I've sinned against you, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous and He'll forgive me of all my sin and I make my confession to you, God, and I pray that You'll sanctify me, cleanse me, and let my mind be clean and my slate be clean again. And He comes with that big Holy Ghost eraser and starts erasing all of the offenses and stuff that I've done against Him. And if He's forgiven me of all of that, how can I not forgive someone else of what they've done? But some of us are holding it. We're holding it back, walking around for months or years or decades with stuff in our heart, yet coming to church, acting all sanctified, but yet you won't forgive somebody else of a small debt. Jesus had a parable about this or a story about it that a man who was a very wealthy landowner forgave one of his employees of a great debt, but then he walked out and he wouldn't forgive one of his fellow workers of a very small debt. And so when the, the landowner came back, he called that guy to judgment and he said, now turn him over to the tormentors. And I'm telling you, if you don't forgive, you will be turned over to the tormentors. 
because it's torment to hold on to unforgiveness and a spirit of offense and then Satan is attracted to you like flies on a garbage dump and they're going to come after you because you've got a glowing halo saying I'm not forgiving someone and I'm walking around like a hypocrite and ain't nobody helping me in this church this morning but I'm going to preach it anyhow. I want you free because some of you are going to get free by the end of this service. Come on, shout hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, we got to forgive and let it go. And forgiveness is not, you don't have to feel it to do it. You can do it as an act of your will. You don't have to feel all warm and fuzzy. Matter of fact, you probably won't. It might take a while for that to happen. But sometimes you just got, well, all the time, you just have to forgive anyhow. You've got to let it go. Does forgiveness mean reconciliation? Not necessarily. Because to reconcile, you have to have two parties agreeing. And if the other party won't agree, won't agree then you're free. You, the ball's in their court, and you walk free of that thing, and you're free in Jesus' name. Does that person have to be in your presence to forgive them? No, they do not. You can forgive them right now by an act of your will and let that thing go from your spirit. Y'all hang on. I've preached this before. But sometimes you just got to pull the chair out in the kitchen and when no one's around, in your mind, set that person in that chair. And say, Lord, right now, John, I forgive you in Jesus' name. I don't like what you did. It hurt me and offended me. But I choose to release you into the, to the hands of Jesus. And I forgive you and I love you and I release this whole thing out of my spirit right now in Jesus' name. Several years ago in Williamsburg, a uh, church I was pastoring at the time, we took our worship team and we opened in worship for Karen Wheaton. Karen Wheaton was a speaker. And Karen Wheaton told her story. And, you know, she was a famous gospel singer, traveled the globe singing. I think she sang for Jimmy Swaggart back in the day. But uh, she formed now The Ramp and you know, it's got all this big ministry going on now. But back then, she testified, she shared her testimony. She said when she would go out and travel, she was married to a guy who was an adulterer. So she would go out and travel and come back, and he had been with women. She'd forgive him, they'd reconcile. She'd go out again, come back, same thing happened. This happened so much, they eventually divorced and broke off the relationship. But she said she couldn't let that thing go. The spirit of offense was still in her. So finally, one day, she set a chair out in her house. And she said, I put my husband there, ex-husband. And I said, I forgive you, and you go into your destiny, and I release you, and I get this out of my spirit. And she said, God broke that thing off of her life when she did it. Didn't feel it, but God broke it off of her life. And then she received in the mail a letter not long after that. And it was a lady who had written her. And the lady said, I've written a song, and I just felt the Lord say, send it to Karen Wheaton. She needs it. And it was the song, He'll Do It Again. You may not know how, you may not know when, but He'll Do It. Well, probably the greatest song, the number one song she's, she ever recorded. And that broke through. Man, I'm telling you what, there's some stuff going to break through for y'all when you forgive. Floodgate's going to open and blessings going to come and things are going to happen that you didn't even know. 
that was, was held back because of the unforgiveness. So we're going to pray, and we're going to release all this, because the altar call in the 9 o'clock was amazing. We're going we're to release all this in prayer right now. But I'm going to give you one more story. I, I used to love to hear a man named Burke Clendenin preach. He was an Assembly of God preacher from Tyler, Texas. He used to preach with R.W. Schambach. And back in the day, I had an uh, old cassette of his that my mother-in-law had. She was uh, had this series of ministries by tent preachers and faith guys, and, and he talked about the power of praying through. He told a story. He said one time he was invited to a church to preach revival. And he, he said, I spent days preaching in this church, and it was like the heavens were brass. It was shut up. Nothing was moving, and there was no flow. And uh, finally, he just, he just kept praying, and finally came to the last night, and he said, I got a word from the Lord. The Lord showed me what's going on in this church. He told his wife, he said, I'm going to preach tonight, but as I'm preaching, you pull the car around to the side door. Because I might need to quit getaway after I preach this message. And he said he started preaching. And he looked up, and this was in the days when they had the throne chairs on the platform that the preacher sat in. He said, I turned around and looked, and the pastor had crawled up under one of those chairs. But then he said at one point, there was a man sitting here on the front row at this end chair, and he stood up. There was a guy sitting over here on the front row in the end chair, and he stood up. And they came and met each other at the altar and hugged and started dancing. And he said he didn't know what was happening, but they had an offense against each other and had kept that thing for years. And this side of the church was all behind this guy. And this side of the church was all behind that guy. But when they got up and hugged and forgave each other, total revival broke out in the church. Because the church was locked tight in that spirit of offense. Oh, hallelujah. Determine today you're not going to live like that. You're not going to go around in the spirit of offense and let that thing eat on you. And, and, and it's like a disease in you. Jesus said this. We're going to pray. Luke chapter 11. He said, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Listen, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So he linked heaven's forgiveness with our ability to forgive others. He, they're linked together here. Heaven's forgiveness linked to our ability to forgive others. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stop the heavens and the power of God from forgiving me of all I need forgiven. And then I want to open it up so God can come and wash me clean. And the only way I can do that is just to forgive others and let it go and let God deal with all of the consequences and retribution and whatever needs to happen. I'm going to walk away clean of that thing. And when you do, you're free to walk up to Walmart and not have to hide in the aisles. Well, Jesus, 
You're free to come to church and not worry about what's, who's there and who's done this and who said that and who's done what. You're able to come and let it go. You're able to worship freely and let God have the highest praise. Hallelujah. Because sometimes we come and all we're focused on is what others are thinking of me and what if somebody thinks I'm this and this person said something 10 years ago that I've never let out of my spirit. It's time to let it go. Let it go. Let it roll. Let freedom come. Be free in Jesus' name. Break it off in Jesus' name. Let it go. You're going to walk out of these doors free today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on. Determine you're going to walk out free today in the name of the Lord. But he said, I can't go to church. Everybody's on their cell phone. They told a preacher this. Preacher, I just can't come here anymore. Everybody's just on the cell phone all the time. He said, would you do something for me? He said, uh, he, he filled up a glass of water. He said, I want you to take this glass of water and march it around the sanctuary and come back. So she took the water and and marched it all the way around the sanctuary and came back. He said, let, let me ask you something. Good job. But did you see anybody on their cell phone? She said, no, I was focused on the water. He said, why don't you focus on the Lord then and not worry about somebody over here on the cell phone. You're not coming to judge others. You're coming to get your mind on Jesus and let Him have the highest praise. And if we all came in here free with no offense in our spirit, no root of bitterness, all that evil speaking gone and not focus on others, what they're wearing or what they look like or what they don't look like or her makeup's nice or that. You get all that gone. You come in and focus on Jesus. We're going to really have church after a while and really have Holy Ghost revival. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a shout in here this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody standing with me. Come on, everybody stand with me this morning. Listen, we're going to pray right now. And I know as I've been preaching, God's been lighting you up. Because you can't hear something like this without the Holy Spirit coming and doing His stuff. And so if there's people's names and people came before you that you need to forgive, I want you to do it right now. Just like you're sitting down a, a stool and you're going to forgive them. I want you to do it in prayer right now. And I want you to walk out of here completely free in Jesus' name. No offense in your heart. Letting all that go. Letting God have it all. Okay? Deal? Deal or no deal? Deal? Thank you so much for listening today, watching with us, opening your heart to the Word of God. It's my highest honor to preach the Word. Our church exists to reach people like you. That's why we exist, to be able to communicate the gospel to the entire world. God has given us such an amazing outreach here to be able to do it this way through the internet and stuff. It's just, it's just absolutely amazing. So I pray that God has touched you today, that God has ministered to you, and I want to pray for you right now. If you need to accept the Lord into your heart, give your life to Jesus, or if you need healing in your body or healing in your mind, I want to pray for you right now. Could you join with me? Come on, just make this declaration. Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and my Savior. I repent of all sin, and I commit my life to you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, if you need healing, stretch out your hand. Father, for those who need a healing touch, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you heal them body and mind and touch them right now. We rebuke the disease and sickness that it's afflicting their body, and I pray for a complete 
wholeness come over them in the name of Jesus. And we give you thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, give him praise right where you are. Thank God for everything he's done in your life. Tell somebody what the Lord has done for you. We love you guys, and it's a privilege to come to you.